you guys know that about seven or eight months ago, my boss called me and said, hey, we have a 2012 Jeep Wrangler. You guys want to drive it for free. It comes with a gas card and insurance. And we said yes. And most of you know that we've had a great time off-roading and doing all kinds of things in the Jeep. Um, and it seems like our Jeep group from the church here, it seems like people are losing their Jeeps right and left around here. And that happened to us. My boss uh, bought a motorhome and wanted his Jeep back which he felt like really bad because he's not an Indian giver, he's very generous. And so he took the Jeep back this week, I think on Tuesday. And so I, I was, my boss, my other boss, his son had told me that they were gonna go to the Kia store and buy me a Rio, a Kia Rio, which is not just a compact car, but a subcompact car, subcompact. I have two 20 something year old daughters and a husband doesn't quite work with subcompact. So, Literally, you guys, this happened for two weeks. I was like, I hate that car. And then the other was, but be grateful. But I hate that car, but be grateful. I was doing this, and I thought they were kind of kidding because he never said, what do you want? Like, I, they don't owe me anything, first of all. I knew that, I know that fully. But I have to tell you, I'm now the proud owner of a Kia Forte. They upgraded, and it came with grocery bags. So I just tell you, I'm super blessed. So you'll see our new little sports car out there. We do, don't have the Jeep anymore. Um, I know, Nick, I think you're the only one that might have a Jeep left, or maybe a couple of you. But um, anyway, that, that was the first of the good and bad thing going on in my head. And it was a horrible place to be because, honestly, I'm very grateful. They don't owe me anything. But at the same time, I was like, we can't even take the girls to dinner, like in the car. There's no room in the back seat. So, that was number one. Number two, Pastor Matthew asked me probably a month ago to preach today, and I'm speaking just a tiny bit on the women's retreat. And between those two things, I feel like Satan's really been after me. Um, I've been listening to, I, I often or every day listen to KKLA in the morning on my way to work, and I listen to it in the afternoon on the way back. And I've been listening to John MacArthur in the morning, who has made me think, if anything, uh, he has some controversial ideas. Um, but he's made me think, and he's made me research, and he's made me look into the word a little bit more. And um, in the afternoons, there's been a guy, Frank Sontag, that has a program, and he's talked a lot about uh, Francis Chan quotes and about Satan. And so between all of those things, I've been super convicted in my own life. And so you guys today are going to get the benefit and the blessing of my own conviction, because I'm going to convict you hopefully as well. Or maybe the Lord will convict you, I don't know. But because of that, no one ever likes to preach about Satan. No one ever, I, I don't like to preach about Satan. I don't like to preach something that's um, hard, that is convicting. Um, but we're there. So bear with me as I stumble through this. I'm going to look at my notes today. I hate looking at notes, but I tend to just talk and get way ahead of myself. And I've got a lot of scripture, so I want to make sure I don't miss anything. So bear with me as we go through this. But let's pray first this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that we are here today, Lord. I thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us everything we need, Lord, in your word. I thank you that you give us everything that we need in our relationship with you, Lord. I pray that today as these words may be convicting, Lord, I pray that we would accept that and hear that in a way that is good, Lord, that only you can convict us, Lord. It's not man, it's not me convicting, Lord, as I know that you've convicted me in my own life, Lord. I pray that everyone here today would walk away encouraged, inspired, Lord, to be 
closer to you, Lord, to draw nearer to you, Lord, in every day, Lord, not just when we, when things get tough, Lord, but always, Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me, Lord, I pray that I would just be calm, Lord, that you would just talk through me now. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I'm like super nervous today. Uh, looking out, I see all of you, and you know, I just realized part of the problem is I can't see my laptop with my glasses, but I can't see you without them, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> And I don't normally read out of my laptop, but our printer isn't hooked up, so it's kind of a mess. But so the title today, Pastor Matthew asked me to talk about something from the life of Jesus. And I kept turning to the parables, I kept reading the Gospels, and I kept coming back to the passage in Luke that talks about Jesus and the cost of discipleship. And so um, I'm going to read to you um, the passage first, and we'll start from there. Um, we know that Jesus' life was a life of discipleship. And let me just stop by saying, apparently I don't say the word Jesus right. I say it wrong, so just go with it. I, my kids tell me all the time that I don't do it right, so I'm not sure how to say it the right way, but um, hopefully I can figure it out by the end. So we're looking at Luke 14, 25 through 33. And Jesus was talking to people, and it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anybody comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, even their very own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I think in the past when I've read that, I probably stopped reading because it didn't make a lot of sense. You know, why would we need to hate our mother and father especially? And then it goes on to say, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridic ridicule you. And then he said, the person that began to build and wasn't able to finish, that's how they're going to ridicule us. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming up against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send in a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, everything you have cannot be my disciples. I'm like, what? He says we need to hate our mother and father. And then when I looked up the original language and... Um, some commentaries that I looked up, and it talks about the word hate, and it says that it's an idiom, sort of like a figure of speech. Um, you guys know the figure of speech, like ants in your pants, right? Or as cool as a cucumber, um, hold your horses is one of them. I've never heard this one, um, storm in a teacup. Anybody hear that one before? I've never heard of that one either. Um, Bob's your uncle. Anybody hear that one either? So these must be like from 1890 or something. And then we all know, like, you have your head in the clouds, or you're dead as a, as a doornail, um, or a doormat, either one of those. So that's what the, the, it's a figure of speech. It's to imply something strong, like you need to hate your mother and father. But we also, if we look at, there's a parallel gospel in Matthew 10, 3. It says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So again, we see the passage of Luke, and it says hate, but really he's saying that we just need to love him 
more than our mother or father, right? Does that make sense? Okay, so um, verse 27, it also says, the passage, it says to carry your cross and follow him or you cannot be his disciple. And so we look at what that means. And the phrase to carry your cross again is also a figure of speech. It means that we're to match his sacrifice and his obedience. We're, we are to match his sacrifice, his sacrifice on the cross. Our obedience needs to match that. And I don't know about you guys, but that seems pretty daunting to me. Like, how do we do that? Um, I was thinking about sacrifice and you know, sometimes there are days recently, especially when I feel like I can't even get through the day, like how am I going to sacrifice anything more than just getting up, going to work, doing some dishes and throwing a meal together? That's, that's it. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm sacrificing when I give up the last piece of pizza or the seat, like especially here, if you take a forward facing seat and you don't sacrifice that, you know, you, we have seats that are like facing the back and you got to turn your chair around. That's a sacrifice, right? But we're to match God's sacrifice, his sacrifice on the cross. Um, it says in 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And another, another scripture says, Matthew 7, 13, and 14, it says that we need to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many may enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few may find it. We've got this. Match his obedience with our obedience. We've got narrow is the gate. Not too many people can get through it. Um, I think about the moment for us of conversion, that moment when we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. For some of us, it could have been a long time ago. Some of us, it may have been a gradual experience. Some of us, it was an actual moment where we quit, we left behind alcohol and or drugs or something, and our life definitely changed. I think we all probably fit in one of those baskets. Some of us are still trying to figure it out. That's perfect. That's okay. You don't have to have made that ultimate commitment yet. But I think about that moment of conversion, and I think sometimes we as a church, not Pastor Matthew's church, not this church, but especially the church in America, I feel like we don't talk enough about the lordship of Jesus, like what that means after that moment of saying yes. I don't read in the Bible anywhere that says in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, in order to get through that narrow gate, it doesn't say raise your hand and say yes. It doesn't say close your eyes and privately in your own heart say yes, and then you're good. But I think we sometimes don't go far enough in our teaching and in our understanding and on our belief. Yes, salvation happens when we accept Jesus Christ. Hear me clearly on this. Salvation happens when we accept Jesus Christ. You will get into heaven if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But there's more. God desires more from us every day. And that's what we're talking about today. God desires that he is the Lord of our life in everything, every day, every moment of every day, 100%. Remember that gate is narrow, right? Remember our sacrifice, our obedience needs to match his sacrifice for sacrifice. And I don't know how to do that. How do we do that? Like, I can't go die on a cross. I'm not called to die on a cross. That was only Jesus' um, thing. 
but he did that for us. And so when we sacrifice things like giving up the last piece of pizza or coming early to church to set up the tables, it feels huge sometimes to us, right? Like sacrificing a leader, I came early, I'm at church five hours on Sunday. Yes, all that's true. But really, does that match his sacrifice? Not really. So, get back to my notes. That's why I have to look at my notes, because I'll just keep talking. Um, so we know that um, salvation is free, and it does yet cost us our own lives. We receive salvation freely, but once we receive it, we just need to commit everything to him and everything we have. And yet, how can that be free, and yet it kind of costs us? So I'm going to talk about a little bit about the cost of discipleship. And an example I know, because salvation is free, it's really hard to understand how there's a cost, because it is free. But one of the examples that I, uh, I actually read this somewhere, talked about somebody doing a journey to Mount Everest or climbing up Mount Everest. First of all, I didn't know there was such a cost to climbing Mount Everest. Has anybody ever done that, by the way? Jennifer's not here. She probably would be the one that would do that at some point, someday. But I understand that it costs upwards of $70,000 to climb Mount Everest with the guides, with the tour, with your equipment, with your training, like all that kind of stuff. So the expedition itself is free. It doesn't cost you anything to walk up the hill, up the mountain, I mean. Um, but it costs in training. It costs your body. It costs your lungs. It costs gear. It costs money to prepare. It costs probably relationships and time with your family. There is a huge cost for climbing Mount Everest. You don't just walk out your back door one day and climb Mount Everest, right? So it's the same with our salvation. It's free, but there's a cost. There should be a cost. There should be a cost. And I think some of us live, and by the way, this sermon literally could be just for me. I'm speaking to myself when I say all these things. There should be a cost to me, a cost of discipleship. There should be a cost in my life of following Christ. There should be because of what he did for us. Um, so we got that Mount Everest thing. Um, so the Bible also says that we are forgiven by grace and grace alone. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. And so, yes, I said some of this already. A moment of reaching out to God in action is great in accepting him. But what else should we do? Um, the Bible also says in Colossians 1.10, it says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So what that means is that when we live a life worthy of the Lord, we will bear fruit. That means our actions in our life will have some sort of byproduct as a result of us loving the Lord, as a result of us walking in obedience to him, as a result of us being blessed by his grace, we will want to, if not an obligation, we will want to serve. We will want to have fruit, like gentleness and peace and, peace and patience. We will want to strive for those things. Those things don't come naturally to us. We're human. But out of that obedience, we're going to want those things. I remember um, years ago, we were at another church with a lot of older people. Um, older people is not the issue because we have older people here who I know are still blessing me and walking in the spirit. I know that. So it's not the age. But they were older. They had been around for a long time at the church. It was their church. 
They were there in the 50s when there was hundreds and hundreds of people. And in my opinion, they, they were not really bearing fruit. They would say things like, I'm done, like I've already served, yet they were still trying to like have all of us younger. We were like 40 when we went there, or 35, and they were like in their 50s and 60s, which is almost my age, um, which is weird. But they would um, say things like, no, we don't do it this way. We do it this way. And I'm like, but you're not doing it. I'm doing it. You know, whatever the issue was. I mean, it could be washing the dishes or teaching Sunday school. It didn't matter. It was their way. So I had a conversation with our pastor one time about that because I was bothered by it that we could, they could just kind of like have that attitude of, nah, I'm not serving anymore. I'm done. I'm tired. And I get that. I mean, you get tired after working in the church for so long. But our pastor's response was really what troubled me. He said, just as a tree outside goes dormant in the winter, he said, I believe that there is a season for bearing fruit, and there's a season for not bearing fruit. And he was talking about us as Christians. I fully don't believe that. I also don't believe the Bible says that. The Bible doesn't say you're going to bear fruit when you're young. When you get tired, you don't have to do it anymore. No, it doesn't say that, does it? And so I was very troubled by that. And I think that there are different ways to bear fruit. I'm not expecting that everybody preaches. I'm not expecting that everybody um, serves 40 hours a week. Whatever the issue is, we all have a way that God's called us to serve, right? All of us. And so bearing fruit, that is one way that we can show our obedience to the Lord to match his sacrifice. It's a very small way, but there's one way to do that. Um, we need to understand that when we receive God's free gift, we no longer are our own. So to truly follow Christ, we must consider the cost and not begin to follow him superficially because then when things get tough, it's a little bit easier to back away. And again, I remember hearing one time at the, um, what's that thing called? Harvest Festival? No, Freedom Crusade. We went to like the 4th of July thing at Cerritos College. And I remember Miles McPherson was preaching. I like his preaching, I remember, but I remember it was super like, you're going to go to hell if you don't commit your life to Christ tonight. You're going to go to hell. That was it. That was what I heard anyway. I had already become a Christian, but I remember thinking there's so much fear in this talk. Yes, that's true. We're going to go to hell if we don't accept Christ. But I also remember thinking like, but then what happens? Like you accept Christ and then you're left like to figure it out on your own or to find a church. But yes, we must accept Christ or we're going to go to hell, but there's more. Again, I go back to submitting our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ every day. That's the more. Um, so to believe Jesus as Lord entails following him as Lord. Salvation is not just a decision, um, but rather the power of God in raising our dead souls to eternal life. And eternal life, yes, is in heaven. But every day, do you guys know that every day the power in Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit can restore our dead souls every day? Let me tell you something about a dead soul, sort of. I, you guys know that I've had some health troubles. And as the, the last, like, two months or since March 20th, something like that, I've been, like, super sick. Like, no reason for it. Like, weird things happening. I've been to urgent care twice. I was in the emergency room Thursday night. Listen to this. I still, I, apparently I have like aspiration pneumonia. I'm not contagious. I like, it's a long story, but I have something in my lungs. I'm on antibiotics for that. I found that out at the emergency room Thursday. But listen to this part, you guys. And Hortensia and Pat 
and Stella, listen to this, ladies, because you guys have been praying for me, among others, but listen to this. I went in, they did a chest x-ray, didn't show anything, but then they did a CT scan to figure out, I've got some really bad pain in my stomach, figure out what's going on. And everything was good, my, not everything was good, but I did the scan, my GI doctor called me Friday because I had actually called her trying to figure out if I should go to the ER. And I had just had my routine six month liver ultrasound on one day last week. Six months ago, my GI doctor called me and said, I have bad news for you. You have cirrhosis of the liver, non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver. My liver converted in six months from mild inflammation all the way past the scarring stage to cirrhosis. She said, it's bad news. You're at 50% risk for liver cancer. You need to have an um, ultrasound every six months. There's no treatment for it. I'll see you in six months. So that was my liver ultrasound that I did on Thursday or Wednesday. She calls me Friday, and I, she's like, so, yeah, what happened at the ER, blah, blah, blah. She goes, everything looked good with your liver. And I said, well, I just had my liver ultrasound. Do I need to come back and see you in, like, six months? And she said, no, not unless you have any troubles. And I said, but you told me I need to come back every six months. And she said, that's only if you have cirrhosis. And I said, I do have cirrhosis. She said, no, your liver is fine on the CAT scan from Thursday night. I said, but six months ago, you called me and said I had really bad news for you, blah, blah. I told her, like, the whole conversation. She goes, I did? So she goes, let me look. So she looks at my CT scan from six months ago. She's like, wow, you did have cirrhosis of the liver. It's gone. So praise God for that. Yay? I don't know why I just threw that in there right now. But um, I had to throw it in somewhere, and somehow it felt like the right, the right time. Um, but, but what I know is that, like, the... I know that Satan is out there, and I think it's because I said that um, every day that there's a Holy Spirit that wants to help us and get us through things. And I tell you what, the battle of my body, the battle for my mind, the battle for my soul has never been greater. Never in the last two months. And every time I say yes to do something, every time I say yes to preach, every time I say yes, Greg knows this, it's been happening for years for both of us, every time something happens. Every time I get sick, every time something happens to my body, every single time. Today, again, I claim the power of Jesus Christ over my body because Satan has no power over me and he has no power over you. But there's things that we have to do to claim that and to do that. And um, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I just want to quit. Like if this is what it means to follow you, Lord, if this is what it means that sometimes I can hardly walk, sometimes I'm sick, sometimes I can't eat because you're after me, Satan. Like, I just want to stop. But that is not matching his sacrifice. That is not matching what he's done for me. And I, that's not me. I can't do that. God has given everything for me. That is not, not what happens. That's not what needs to happen. So let me continue now that I got off that. Um, but I'm like, it's amazing to me that he didn't even believe me that I had cirrhosis. I'm like, no, you told me. Um, so that's why I said that. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will keep, us, keep perfecting us until the day he returns. And I wrote down growing, is that we need to keep growing. Following the Lordship of Jesus Christ means that we are growing. And um, while we must grow as disciples, and of course, we're never going to arrive at perfection on earth, we cannot claim to be believers, but not seek to grow in obedience. 
um, if we can, if that's the case, we call ourselves believers, but not grow in obedience. We're, we're fooling ourselves. And I think that is, honestly, I feel like that's the American church, is that, yes, we do that moment of conversion. Yes, we say we're Christian. For some of us, it may be that we're Christian just because it's what we do. For some of us, we're, we call ourselves Christian because we do believe in God. But I think that there is more for that, I think, than that. And yes, we can have salvation perfect, but there's more. God wants us to commit ourselves to his lordship. I keep saying that because he is lord. There is a lordship over our lives, like a commander, a commander-in-chief that wants us to follow him in everything. How do we do that? Um, the Bible says in Matthew 7, 23, that when we say, Lord, Lord, that, he's, that when we say that, he may hear the words and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And I feel like we in the church, even in church, that we are at risk for losing some of our members. This is why I speak this message today, because when I heard this message, it reminded me that sometimes I'm a fraud. And it makes me cry. Because you may not think I'm a fraud, but I know I'm a fraud sometimes. Like, I believe fully in Jesus Christ, but do I look at the, my Bible every day? Am I connected to him every day through the word? Nope. Have I tried? Yep. Do I commit over and over and over and over to do it? Yep. And what happens? It doesn't happen. Sometimes, and the thing is, the craziest part about it is that when I open my Bible and start reading, I love it. That's the craziest thing, but literally... My Bible could be there, and it is the longest three steps to my Bible. Anybody else? Can you guys relate to this at all? Thank you. But it's a, guys, we're frauds. Really? Do we want Jesus Christ, we want God to say, I don't know you? Like, did you follow my lordship? Did you give everything for me? It also says in Titus 1.6, it says that they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless. And I think about some of our deeds. Are they detestable? Are they disobedient? Do we think that we can be disobedient Monday through maybe Friday night? Maybe we straighten up on Saturday because we're coming back to church on Sunday. Are we detestable in our thoughts? Like, do we think bad things about the driver that cuts us off. I mean, we're human. Of course, we're going to do those things. But are we growing? Are we trying to make progress? I want to talk just for a moment, and this is the part that scares me because um, this is, I feel like this is why I've been attacked a lot. Nobody talks about Satan, but I fully believe that Satan is alive and well. The Bible says that. He guarantees us that. Anybody ever seen evidence of Satan in your life just in the struggle of, I serve the Lord, and then this happens. Anybody? Yep. So do you know that? I didn't know this, honestly, until a couple months ago. In the Satanic Bible, I didn't open it. I will not open it. I did not look it up, but I heard it on the radio. Thank goodness. I don't have to look it up because um, I was scared to, like, touch it or do anything with it. Um, in the Satanic Bible, it never says worship Satan. It doesn't say follow Satan. It doesn't say Satan is bigger than God, worship him or follow him. I thought it did. Our Bible says worship God. I thought the Satanic Bible said worship Satan. The Satanic Bible is all about 
Do what feels good. Do what's right in your mind. Don't follow anybody else's rules. Follow your own rules. I also know that the Bible talks about being lukewarm. And so here's the thing. There's a guy named Francis Chan who says, I've heard him say it. He's a Christian guy who speaks like, I think that some of the Bible, the gospel writers, maybe like Paul, who was bold, who would just like speak things. This guy is like a modern day person who speaks very boldly. He says that if you are not 100% following the Lord, then you're following Satan. Because really, if you're not giving up yourself, your life, 100% to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then you're in that gray area, which says, do what feels good to yourself, right? Like, follow yourself. So you can't be 75% follow God, 25%, I'm not following Satan, but I'm just doing my own thing. Because doing your own thing is really what Satan would have you believe is okay. That is following Satan, in a sense. Got it? Does that make sense? I don't want to be that person. But that's what he says. Like, we can't follow two people at the same time. Um, in um, Revelation, I said this already, that it talks about the Bible, will, that God will spit us out if we're lukewarm. And uh, let me see. See, I already got ahead of myself here. Lukewarm living. These are some quotes I wrote down from Francis Chan. Lukewarm living and claiming Christ's name simultaneously is utterly disgusting to God. This is not biblical. This is just some guy's interpretation. So take that for what you want. Because the core problem isn't the fact that we're lukewarm, half-hearted, or stagnant Christians. The crux of it all is why we are this way, and it's because we have an inaccurate view of God. We see him as a benevolent being who is satisfied when people manage to fit him into their lives in some small way. We forget that God never had an identity crisis. He knows that he's great and deserves to be the center of our lives. How many of us fit God into when we need him? We kind of all do. Um, and then this one, Greg, um, listen to this. Francis Chan says this. Again, it's not in the Bible. It says, both worry and stress reek of arrogance. Worry. You guys know that when, and when we worry about things, like we're playing God, we've decided that we are better than God. You guys have heard, most of you have heard some of my story, but when I finally understood, I had to forgive myself for my past sins. It was only because I realized that by me not forgiving myself, I was playing God. I'm like, if God has already forgiven me, I have no choice. I have to forgive. Same thing. When we worry, when we stress, when we do things, it really says, I don't trust you, God. So what do we do? All this stuff. I mean, this is like a bummer of a sermon. Sorry. Um, I couldn't help it. I just couldn't help it. But um, so we need to, first of all, we need to understand the facts that God wants our whole life. Sometimes is the, the difficulty is that we want to be in and out of his will at the same time. And that is really what causes the most internal conflict, the most stress. Because we want to be here. We want to be with God. We want to understand. We want to be a Christian. We want the things that God has. We really want what God has to offer us. But we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to get there. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, 
what happens when we are like kind of playing both sides of everything is that we leave no room for the Holy Spirit to work in us and assist us. And I think that's the key. Um, the second part is, is that the Holy Spirit is our helper. On our own, we just can't. Agreed? Everybody, on our own, we cannot. We cannot do any of this. And so that, for me, is the key. We must really pray daily and be in his word. That's the fraudulent part of me. My life is not necessarily fraudulent, but my actions sometimes are fraudulent that I'm not in his word. How in the world can I um, sacrifice match for match what God did on the cross with my life? How can I do that if I'm not in his word, if I'm not connected, if I'm not understanding? And most of all, if I'm not gaining the power of his Holy Spirit, because we're human, like we're going to wake up every morning and be like, go get my Bible. And sure enough, we get sidetracked by the dog or the cat, or the children, or whatever it is, or the TV. But when we say, God, be my strength today. Holy Spirit, come and take over my life. God, be Lord of my life every moment of every day. For me, it has to be in every moment of every day. It cannot be once. It cannot be on Sunday. It doesn't work. I am too human. I am too stubborn. I'm too easily distracted by things. I can sit in a room and be completely distracted with my Bible on my lap. But I'm telling you, God meets me there when I open the word. Anybody ever have that happen? Like the longest journey is to your Bible. But once you get there, it's good. But I don't get it. I do get it. There's an enemy that doesn't want me to read my Bible. But I was thinking about um, how many of us this morning, it's interesting because Greg talked about it. Chris talked about it. How many? No, Chuck. I don't know. Someone talked about it. But how many of us this morning were desperate to be here? How many of us, when Pastor Matthew preaches, are desperate to hear more? How many of us look at our watch, maybe not here in this, but how many of us look at our watch and go, it's time, it's lunchtime, got to go? How many of us want to say, like, Let's have three Bible studies during the week because I need to learn more. How many of us willingly open our Bibles every day that God speak to me? I think about the people in Nigeria. Do you guys know that the Christians in Nigeria, over 280 people have been killed since February 1st. It's the end of March. 280 people. Only because they said, I'm a Christian. Only because of that. And yet we're here and we're like, not desperate people in China have a Bible, maybe if they're lucky, that they pass underground where no one can see it. It's in their heads and they pass it on from person to person in the, in the words because they can't have a Bible. And yet they're still meeting. They're still getting together to praise the Lord. And we're here with the doors open. And we, we praised good today, I, I think so. But sometimes my heart is not really in it, right? Like, I don't like this song. And I don't like the chairs, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. But you know what? Worship is not about me. Not, we're not here to worship me. We're not here to worship you. We're here to worship our Lord, right? So when we come, be excited. Let's be, like, desirous of what God has for us. There's so much more. And that's, that's kind of the point of this, is that God wants us to have, and he promises us this abundant life which is not just happiness, it's joy when we go through the hard times, it's peace when we don't understand, it's hope 
when we're hopeless, those things, we can't do those on our own at all. At all. But I think sometimes um, I was thinking about what, um, what stops us from, like, giving it all over to the Lord. And I think for most of us, we probably do, like, okay, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. But then our actions don't back it up. And so you get in that spot where, like, okay, God, I gave it all to you, but I took it back. I gave it all to you, but I take it back. And I think for me, I need to work on my actions and my wanting to be in with the Lord and wanting to read his word and understanding that sweet spot. Have any of you ever done something that God, I'm sure you have, but have you guys ever like been, I call it the sweet spot of life when you're doing what God wants you to do. There's nothing better because for me, when I'm not in the sweet spot of life, I'm running in circles, trying to find it, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how to serve. But when you're serving and doing what God wants you to do, sweet takes no energy. It energizes us when we're serving because it's something that we've been assigned or that we are just doing because we think we have to serve. Um, and it's not the right place. Maybe we all should serve, but it's maybe not the right place to serve. It drains us. It makes us tired. And yes, there are times when we have to serve and do things we don't want to do. But I would add that in those moments of especially now at this church when we have a team of people that come every single week early and set up. I know that's not what you guys would rather be doing. I know that bringing the trailer and unloading it every week is not probably your spiritual gift. Sometimes we have to do things, but I would encourage you also to find how God wants you to serve. And it may be with your family. It may be ministering to your children. It may be praying with your family. It, may be there, it could be a million things. It doesn't have to be big. It could be small. It could be big. But we have to do what God wants us to do. And I think sometimes um, that fear, the fear of the what ifs stops us. And I, um, I know that I, I've decided in my own life that living with God through the fear is greater than any fear I might have. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like getting rid of God, walking away from God, choosing to believe the lies that Satan tells me. Um, Sometimes it would be easier, but it's not, it's not what God would have me do. And it's not easier in the long run. And so um, I wrote down a couple of things that I didn't put on here. I was thinking about, I think sometimes we spend so much time trying to live like Jesus that we forget to live with Jesus. And I love the song that we sang today, Spirit, lead me, um, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander where my trust is without borders. And I, I would encourage us today to commit to not be lukewarm and to commit to be all in, to commit to hold each other accountable. Like, it's okay to say, hey, were you in the Word this week? I mean, I would hope that you guys would say to me, are you in the Word? Got it. Getting a sign back there. Um, did you read your Bible this week? I need that. And I want us to be a church where we can do that for each other. To say, hey, how's your walk this week? Not just how are you. That's good. But how about did you get in the word? Like, hold me accountable. And I know, gosh, Stella, I know you will next week for sure. Stella will be all over me next week, um, which is a good thing. Um, but to commit to not be afraid, to commit to trust the Lord, to commit to bear fruit, to commit to grow, to commit to this body of people, 
commit to be bold when we're afraid, to be bold with our own walk, to be bold with what God asks us to do, to commit to talk and ask questions when we don't get it, to commit to the one who gave it all for us, to commit our sacrifice, to match his sacrifice, to commit to the one who carried his cross for us. Um, we're going to have a time of prayer. And I really, you know, I share this today because I can't see you again, sorry. Um, I would encourage you today, if there's any part of you that wants to recommit something, like for me, I know that God has called me, this is craziness, but God called me a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how many years, but when I was 15, God called me to be a pastor. And I, you guys all know this probably, but I went home and I told my mom and dad, I, I want to be a pastor. And all my mom, this is all she said. She said, are you sure you're going to want to do that when you're 45? And I think I probably said a youth pastor at the time. And I remember saying, I guess not, to myself. Because I was like, she must know more than I do. But I also knew at that moment that I was called to be a pastor. So I'm like, I'll be a nurse. I'll be a whatever. And so over my life, my long life, that thought, that desire, that idea has come up over and over and over again. And I'm one of those people, some of you back there know me really well, who keep saying, who keep talking about it and talking about it. And a year ago, Pastor Matthew gave myself and Greg an opportunity to take the, to do the studying, to take the four score licensing, licensing exam and be a licensed pastor. I'm like, eh. now what is up with that? I realized, duh, and I don't know why. I don't know why my Greg, I, I don't even know why. I've told Greg, I don't know why I don't want to do it. I don't know why. There's no reason. I have been, God, and I have not even been wanting to. God has been calling me to this. I can say that surely, clearly, with confidence that God has called me to do this since I was 15. And I don't know for what reason. It's not to have my own church. It's not to do anything except that he's called me to do that. And so, honey, do the test. And we'll talk later about whether you're going to do the test. But I can no longer, because I, no, because, no joke, it, it requires, I feel like it's not just something to do. It's not just a check off the list. It's not just someone asks you to do it, so do it, because it's good. It's about being called to do that. There's a difference. And so that's why I'm like, we need to pray for you. Because for me, I need to do that. My commitment is that I'm going to do that. I'm saying it in front of all of you. And I'm scared. I don't know why. When God calls you, he gives you what you need to do it, right? So, prayer team, if you guys can come up over here, please. Um, and Chris is going to come back up and play. But I know for some of us, for all of you, God's called you to something. And first of all, he's called us not to be lukewarm. He's called us to submit our lives to his lordship, not just raise our hand and say, yes, I believe, yes, I trust but his lordship. What does that mean for your life? What has God called you to do that you're not doing? It could be get help for some healing to make you whole so that you can serve. It could be he's called you to forgive somebody. It could be that he's called you to forgive yourself. It could be that he's called you to serve him in a way that you're not serving. And all of it requires trust. All of it has fear, right? But we can no longer be slaves to fear, as that song says. God is bigger. God is bigger than our fear. God is bigger than our fear. And so today I pray that you, each of you, by yourselves or up here with someone, pray, Lord, that he would take your heart 
and commit to his lordship to understand what that means for you. Amen? So come on up. We'll have a time of um, prayer, and then we'll close out our service in a few minutes.